Your white sheet that you have, uh, we started it last time. It says unity and realignment, and it says part two. Uh, we actually got through most, <coughs> I think we got through all of, of page three last time, uh, the first of this new white sheet. Uh, a little bit of review in order to uh, move us forward. Uh, we saw, and we're going to be coming back to, on this first page, I've gone through the three branches, I guess you ought to say, of Lutherans at the time, or groupings that, that you could put them in, uh, the Norwegians, the East Coast, and the Midwest uh, Lutherans. Uh, I've been trying to show... Um, as we go forward, that some of the events, and we're going to come back to it, the 1917 was the 400th anniversary of the 95 PCs. We're also going to see a couple other things that are going to have and uh, had an effect and, and continue to have an effect and kind of push forward with it. So, the first third of the page dealt with Norwegian Lutherans. Uh, and to summarize what happened with it, uh, they came together, uh, with very few exceptions, 92% of Norwegian Lutherans joined together into the Norwe Norwegian Lutheran Church of 1917. Right there, they all are. There's a couple stragglers that go on the outside. But pretty well, they all come together. Middle third of the page. We took a look at the East Coast Lutherans. Uh, they had divided apart um, as the influence of several pretty good men within uh, those. In fact, some of them, you know, like, like Beal Schmucker is the son of, you know, the liberal father who caused havoc, and yet his son comes through and, and does real well. Anyway, they have split apart. Uh, 1918, what do they do? Well, let's see here. General Senate splits apart into General Senate and General Council, United Senate South. Um, by 1918, everybody's back together with very few stragglers on the outside again. Um, 19, now this is 1918, uh, the United Lutheran Church in America. So, at about the exact same time frame, you go, 1917, 1918, wow, um, something's in the water, <laughs> something's going on. Okay, then... Uh, the next third of the page is the Midwest Lutherans. The Midwest Lutherans uh, were divided up between the Synodical Conference, uh, of which Missouri was a part of, and then, you might remember, uh, although they were all quite conservative, uh, the election controversy had broken off Iowa Senate, the Joint Senate of Ohio, there were some others, um, and so we pretty well had them into uh, two groups. So, oh, what happened to my diagram? Oh, there it is. Um, what do we have going on? The Synodical Conference, I put this in a dotted line because they didn't actually form a church body. They were just church bodies in fellowship with each other. And so you see Missouri, Wisconsin, the little Norwegian Senate kind of together. Ohio and uh, one of the Norwegians were in. They broke off with the election controversy. You pretty well have the Synodical Conference, and then you have Iowa, Ohio, and the other kind of ones like that. However, oh wait, 1930, 1960, where's the 1917-1980, where's the big... Everybody gets together. It's not there. It doesn't happen. Um, and so I was showing you last time, as we uh, uh, got to the end, um, let's see here, if I back up just a little bit, 
Uh, I don't know if you uh, picked up on it. Uh, I've got two books. I've got one, uh, talking about the history books, uh, I've got one called Moving Frontiers uh, by Carlos uh, Meyer, although it was written by a Missouri Synod Lutheran. Um, maybe you would... <laughs> um, Maybe you would call him in today's words a lino, <laughs> a Lutheran in name only. You know, uh, um, he was a Missouri Synod Lutheran, but he was definitely of the liberal leaning side. In fact, to describe his book and to talk about the history, when you see when you hear the term "moving frontiers." You might think, oh, well, it's just about moving westward. Yeah. No, he's talking about the limits of theology and how it moved and the Lutheran church changed. And when he gets to the end, he rejoices uh, in about the last three or four pages. He finally says, and then Missouri did this. And he's so excited. And, and he's, he's talking about how they... Uh, um, quit being so stuffy on doctrine. You go, really? Um, I've got another book um, called The Lutherans in North America. I've been reading parts from that. It's by a man named Clifford Nelson. Uh, he is not a Missouri Senate Lutheran, and you might have noticed in the, uh, in the slant that he has towards this that he is... He does a pretty good job of the history, but he's not particularly um, positive towards the conservative Missouri side. So as I went through and I was reading about how, yeah, look at those Midwest Lutherans, none of them are getting together, and look how nothing's going on, and, and they're so confident of themselves, and when we point out to them that nothing's going on, they still tell us they have the true doctrine, and that's what they keep spitting out. Um, <coughs> Finally, any suggestion that true Lutheranism does not have a perfect theology or that no one part of the church knows and understands all truth was taken as a sign of relativizing influence of modern theology on Lutheranism. So, all those synodical conflicts, Missouri Lutherans, you know, if you suggested to them, you know, that maybe they didn't have the truth and, and they didn't, they would tell you it was the result of modern theology. They would tell you that it was, um, you know, they would point the finger back at the others. Um, of course, each side charged the others unfair tactics and uncharitable interpretation that they were blatant violations of the Eighth Commandment. So, uh, when you don't like it, then you accuse the other person of the Eighth Commandment. So, anyway, you also have to read the history for what it is, and that's why so often we go back to the real sources in order to see. Karen, you had a hand a little I'm earlier. I was wondering, uh, when these gentlemen, particularly the guy who wrote the Progressive Frontier book, uh, what, when, do you know, off the top of your head, it's not important, but I just thought where he came from, you know, in time. Oh. Um, this is published in 1964. Was that Seminex? The no. Seminex is 70s. That's freezing. Mm. Freezing. But, but it's he went to the seminary in the 40s. Right. So that does tell you something, though. Um, and we haven't gotten to it. Yes, we, we, you know, we're going to get to modern history, which gets to Seminex. And I want to say probably all of us can say, yeah, I know a little bit about that. We know. Um, it didn't happen in 1969 and then in 1970 all of a sudden we see problems um, you're already beginning to kind of go huh that was quite a bit before yeah um, so we're gonna we're gonna get into that we're gonna see that um, all right so that gets us through the first page that we have and uh, shows you just a little bit uh, of that let's move on to page number two of this Unity and Realignment, part two. Part two. Now, in the 1900s, even among the Lutherans, East Coast, 
you know, all of them. Uh, verbal inspiration, the scriptures were inspired by God. They are his words. Uh, they are without error. Things like, just to give you an idea, evolution was rejected, although, you know, this is when it's, it's gaining steam and science is, is trying to uh, put that down. Um, however, uh, as we would look at these branches, if we're looking at what's happening out on the East Coast, the East Coast has been here the longest. They are the most integrated into society. They are already beginning to speak of a development in doctrine. That is, that just because someone believes something at one point in time, it can develop over time, and as we learn more, we might change, and that's all right and good, they would say. Um, they began to speak about how this Christian self-consciousness, collective Christian experience, that ought to have a part in how doctrine is understood. What do you think about this? How do you feel? It would make sense to me that because I am a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks to me too. And so, you know, well, Paul had the Holy Spirit speaking at this time, but now the Holy Spirit is moving in these ways. And so that also did. Um, they were right in looking back and saying, you know, <laughs> Back in Germany, it was a theological, as we talked about with pietism, rationalism, all that, you know, it was a train wreck over there in theology. German infidelity to the Christian faith, that was causing a lot of this. And, as there was more influx as well, something called higher criticism, in which you may not deny the doctrines yet, but you might deny the words. And so you were already denying verbal inspiration and inerrancy with this kind of higher criticism. Uh, when God's word said it was made in six days, maybe that's not quite six days. Um, and maybe it's a thousand years for each day. And maybe it's, you know. And, and then they would go back and examine manuscripts and say, well... What, what happened was, is there were several people that put the Bible together, and they had conflicting theologies, and, and they would make up all kinds of stuff that would, that would go with it. What else is going on? Particularly what's coming around is something called the social gospel. In other words, we got tired of theology, and we decided we're going to turn the church into an organization that's not going to be so much concerned about the soul and salvation and, and uh, uh, teaching doctrines. Let's turn it into a church that deals with life. Yes, we're going to have something to show. We're going to get involved in all of the social causes, and we're going to speak up. And so, this idea that the church is going to influence society. We are going to uh, uh, change the culture. Um, and that began, began to be with the social awareness. Um, much was already going on in the General Senate. It took the other two branches of Lutheranism a little while, but you're going to see we're going to come right on board with this. Um, it's just that they were cutting edge. Uh, we were conservative. That is, we conserved until, well, we were... Ecumenical endeavors. What we're going to see, ecumenical, is simply a, something that means world. What are we going to see? What had already begun in this ever-shrinking world due to technology, due to travel, due to whatever, you start to have global movements formed, people coming together. Ah, we need to take a look at ecumenical, meaning the church as a whole. This idea of only being talking about Lutherans, there is the ecumenical church, the church that is all over. In fact, the more we talk with other people, they're a lot like us. And so we need to start to bridge all of these gaps. And you know what? These separations between Methodists and Lutherans and, they, and you know what we found? You know, you, you and I, we both agree in social causes. And the more we started to work together in social causes, we thought, well, why don't we just get together? There's not that much difference. In fact, what's most important is that we're all on the same page socially, 
Yeah, all right, so we don't agree on baptism, Lord's Supper, whatever. That's not a big deal. Ecumenical endeavors began to be big. This is what was starting and had been going on already on the East Coast. And then it spreads. So, we've got uh, three things that have a uh, great impact upon Lutheranism. Uh, the repeated shocks and explosions of 20th century society have dramatic repercussions for Lutherans. Uh, not because Lutherans have shared the American dream of an evolving utopia, but because society's convulsions, these rapid changes that went on in society, left little time for deliberate action, which was a Lutheran hallmark. In other words, before we could think things all through, we had already made decisions that had left us on a different course. Within the span of half a decade or less, changes took place among the insular, defensive, and doctrinally preoccupied Lutherans. We were somewhat separate from everybody else due to our Swedish, German, whatever, didn't always participate in everything that was going on in society. We were always concerned about doctrine, where life was a lot of the social things that were uh, going on. And we were even remotely off in the Midwest and didn't often get a lot going on. And so those things had kept us, as it said, uh, uh, without a lot of change. But then, within a half a century, we were brought into this, whether we liked it or not. That's first. All of society kind of stuff. I'll show some of those. Two, the great religious celebration of the 400th anniversary of Lutheranism with the uh, 1917 uh, being the, um, of the 95 Theses. That had a major effect. And finally, the declaration of war with Germany. That had uh, a great effect upon us as well. So, here's what's going on. Already, 1914, um, they started talking about this in 1911. By 1914, they had a committee. They had brought together Lutherans from all the different synods and groups, primarily, to a work on something called the Joint Lutheran Committee on Celebration of the Quadrant Centennial, the 400th anniversary. It finally had its first meeting in 1914. Um, and what did it do? Everyone began to get together. We're going to be planning for this big celebration in 1917. It caused a lot of interaction among the East Coast Lutherans because they wanted this. They were the ones that put together this committee, and many of the others came uh, to it. Now, to some degrees, the Synodical Conference in Missouri said, yeah, we'll do it our own way. Um, so they, at times, would send representatives, but they were not an official part. Um, those in the Norwegians, some, most of them played a part in it. Uh, there were a couple that didn't. But uh, this uh, interaction, this coming together, yes, we're going to celebrate. What, what are we going to celebrate <laughs> when we get to... October 31st, 1917. Mm -hmm. Any ideas? What do you want to celebrate? Our name. Oh, right. <laughs> this is our group. This is the time when we celebrate us. Let's talk about us. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the things that we do and where we go and what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. and that could be the celebration. What else? <sighs> fact that it was German. Wow, we could celebrate our Germanness. That is, we could celebrate, you know, what it means to be German. Hmm, German celebrations and German customs and German 
festivals and right. So so I mean, think about think about churches today that that have you know what what do we have? Well, we're going to have a, a celebration at our church. What is it? German we call it German fest. Yeah. What? What? And then, you know, so pastors kind of go, okay, so, so how does this kind of fit? Well, we're celebrating what? Oh, we yeah, eat German food. We. <laughs> so we, you know, you know pastors <laughs> laugh about these things. Yes, at our church this coming Sunday, we have the festival of the holy sausage. <laughs> you know, and 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 so you know, yeah, you celebrate ethnic, you celebrate German, you celebrate. Come on, what else? Like they could celebrate the still had some doctrine left that was original. No, not a whole lot. Though. Okay, so first of all, oh. we could celebrate doctrine. Now, when you say original, yeah, I mean you're putting an adjective upon this doctrine teaching. What could we celebrate? So, what's what do you mean by original? What I what I mean is that they the doctrine they had that, that they kept pure. From, from the time of Luther. True. As How opposed you? to the alternative stuff they've got. You could celebrate the 95 Theses. <laughs> we could take a... No. Yeah. The 95 Theses. If you're going to talk about the 95 Theses, <laughs> we could have a the doctrine as opposed to the papacy. Yep. To Roman. Right? Because that's the 95, I mean, that, that's kind of thing. So we can all talk about the evils of Catholicism. That's what we could talk about. That could be the Reformation theme, right? And in connection with that, you're, you're Baptists and, and you're Episcopal, and you're, you're, we're all together on this. We can celebrate Protestantism. <laughs> Tony? Yeah, I think they would, might have run right into a situation my mother explained they're German my uh, mother's uh, name was Rofer or Rattler uh oh 1917 they said we're not German we're Pennsylvania Dutch (laughs) (laughs) and why did they say that Tony because of the uproar within the community about Germany you bet Um, there's another. Uh, we can, if we're going to talk about the uniqueness of doctrine, we might also talk about what it means to have Lutheran doctrine. But that would mean saying we're not Protestant like the Baptist and the Methodist who are Reformed and have gone on. and we're not, you know, So I guess there's a lot of ways you could possibly celebrate when this group got together, it wasn't so clear. The East Coast, they were all ready to celebrate Protestantism. Some of the others were wanting to celebrate Lutheran. Some were just German. That was a, but the point is, is that for almost three years, they were working together. And as they worked together, it began to be quite clear that we weren't just talking about a celebration of the Reformation. The big thing, and they wanted to get it done by 1917, but it didn't happen until 1918, was the East Coast groups all getting together into the United Church. That was ended up being the big thing. They didn't get it together. I mean, they missed the, the deadline. It didn't happen until... But, that's what was uh, what was going on. So this solar, and even among again, Missouri had their own central committee. They were definitely pushing the doctrinal emphasis, and they were even pushing the distinction between Lutherans and the Reformed Church. In other words, we're going to not only talk about the the truth; we're going to talk about bringing people to the truth, and that's what they were working on. It was all progressing pretty well. Again, we're going to celebrate in October. Bam! April 6, 1917, declaration of war with Germany. Screwed it all up. Because, whoa, wait a minute. We're going to war? And 
Now, anyone that was Lutheran was probably connected with Germany. And anyone, especially if you spoke German, in fact, we don't even care if you speak Norwegian, it sounds German. In fact, if you're an immigrant, we're pretty sure, you know, out on the East Coast, we've been here for a long time, we're a part of this group, we're not quite sure about you guys. Right? And so, we're pretty sure when we hear the Lutheran pastor speaking in German, we're pretty sure he's talking about the Kaiser. And we're pretty sure that he's, you know, and they had family from back there, and at first, they were, well, kind of upset about this idea. Why would we go to war against Germany? And as things went forward, there were lots of problems. The German Lutheran suffered most, especially from April to about 1917 to 1919. Um, Mary? This was a time when I am told my grandfather and lots of heads of families had to stay home from church to protect their farm. And somebody had to protect the church during services. And the same thing happened for World War II. It's like we didn't learn anything in between. You bet. And so, um, as this happened, yes, there, there were, um, you know, we began to downplay uh, some of this German heritage, some of this. We went from being pro-German to being neutral. I mean, we've never wanted to be involved with politics. Lutherans have always been, uh, um, you, you don't talk about it. That's not what this is about. Well, then we began to realize, yes, I mean, there's a lot of concerns. More were using German. In the school system, we had, we had schools burned down because of this kind of thing. This is when, if you want to know, that's when we began to start doing pro-United States things in church. This is when the flag got put up in the front of the church. It was never there before. You didn't put things like that up there. We prayed for the whatever state we were in, but everything up there was an eternal thing. It was all that. But at that point, we wanted everybody to know. And you know, in fact, this Sunday, we're going to have war bonds. And we're going to support the Red Cross. And we're going, you know, you cannot accuse us of not being patriotic. You know, and I'm sure it went, you know, crazy uh, um, with it. But that was because of the uh, uh, the war effort. And, and it was it was very troublesome, and it had a real effect. Well, up until that time, a lot of living churches had German services. They had, they had to stop them. Um, yeah, it... it it was definitely, it didn't happen to World War II that they finally put an end to that. But before that. <laughs> I think that my home congregation had German services until the First World War. Well, they stopped. Well, that, was, that was one of those deals where they had a German service one Sunday and yeah. the next Sunday right. it was English because otherwise the church was liable to get burned down. You bet. Or like the fifth Sunday would be a German service. You're right. And so there were effects. Again, it doesn't bring it fully about to the next, but you start to see this um, response. How did the pastors think about this? Well, here's what they saw. They saw that those Midwestern churches that had retained their heritage and, for us, the German language, were conservative. The East Coast Lutherans that were speaking in English and had left their heritage, they were flaming liberals. Did you want to give up your German? No, you give up your German language and we see what happens. And so they looked at this and said, absolutely not. Um, that's, that's liberal. Now, not without, you know, I, was there a direct cause and effect? Well, um, next thing, as war began and as things happened, there needed to be a response to the war effort. Um, uh, it moved from being less critical, not as big a deal, but you know what? The more our people, we have thousands of young men going to war. The more we saw the devastation that happened over in Europe, the more we saw the response, 
had to move to uh, um, beyond just you couldn't be off to the side. You had to support it and you had to deal with and things like the desperate physical needs in Europe. Uh, we had to deal with wartime uh, problems as well as serving those who were in war. How are we going to give them spiritual services and things of this sort? What happened? There needed to be cooperation. Well, things like the YMCA. Now, the YMCA was founded to uh, serve mind, body, and spirit. And so, you had Bible studies, you had gymnasiums, swimming pools, you know, you had services in which you taught uh, the distinct evangelical Christian theology. Uh, this was already going. They had begun in England, come on over to America. By the time uh, that the war began, there were, it's kind of amazing, um, let's see here, I can find the numbers, um, I don't know if I can find it, I'm going to say that there were, I don't know, a thousand different YMCA's throughout Europe that already were settled over there. So what's going to happen? We're, we don't have time to set things up. We're going to work through them. They were willing to work. And through them, they uh, did all kinds of effort to take care of those who were starving, to take care of those who were there. Um, there was uh, the Federal Council of Churches. Everything was moving global. And now this group was set up. How are we going to do this? Well, the government wanted to have... You know, someone had to be there to preach to the troops and to do this. Um, we don't want to work with every individual group. Fine, let's work with, you have the Catholics, and you got the Federal Council of Churches. Great, you got the Protestants. Good. That should take care of it. Um, you know, we understand the Roman Catholics need a priest, and they're not going to be served, but the rest of you guys can all get along, can't you? Um, well, no. But... Um, we didn't have that. At first, Missouri said, we're not, we're not playing a part in this. And then they realized, you know, we we got to do something. Um, what are we going to do? And so each kind of did a little bit, tried. Um, there was one particular man, Michael Roy of the Iowa Senate, who said, you know, we can work with you. He was more conservative. The others just said, yeah, we'll just do whatever. He said, well, we can work with you. You go find out uh, what the needs are and then let us know and then we'll direct our money to where it needs to be. So you kind of had those that were fully in. You had those who said, well, we can work with you in some areas, but not in others. And then you had Missouri said, well, we can't work with you in any of those, but then how are we going to set this up? And and it, it was a mess. Tony? Back to the why. There was one in Peoria, and the only thing I remember, my mom said, come on, we're going to go to the why, not the YMCA, down to the why. I just remember it as a gym and a swimming pool. I, I never remembered it as anything but that. I, I don't know. It was so long ago, probably 50 years ago, but just going in there and doing something, either gymnastics or basketball or, or, or something. Correct. It was just a place. To, maybe we went there after school. Could we have done that? Um, when it was founded in 1844, um, it does talk about how it was very specific concerning its uh, Protestant doctrine. It, by the time of the First World War, it was not. And it was simply dealing with a generic kind of Protestantism by that time. I can tell you, just like me, yeah, I went to the Y as a kid. I played basketball. I went swimming. I took a magic lesson. You know, um, I don't know that there were any Bible studies taught there or anything like that. And so it had already changed tremendously. And I think in addition to that, even though the way that it dealt with the World War, it was simply dealing with social issues. But, you know, the more and more it was leaving behind the other. It kept the words you know, the Christian association, but you're right. Well, one, one, of the, one of the primary things for most wives were 
homes for the homes. Young young men could stay there overnight, or you could stay longer than that until you found a job. Yeah. That that was the principal reason. The, 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 the sports stuff that that was the way they raised money from the community. Are they still doing that, Pastor? Most of them are closed. There's a big one in Edwardsville, and it's just is it a YMCA or a YWCA? Because that would be a good thing. Most of the YMCA's are closed. Most of them are now YWCA's. So, as the war effort went forward, and as we were being thrown in with the Protestants, the Lutherans got together and said, "Listen, we've we've got to, if we're going to have any part of our group, any representation, if we're going to have anything, we're going to have to bind together. You can't do this separately." And so the National Lutheran Council was founded in 1918. What did it do? It sought relationships with Lutherans. And those Lutheran groups were not in fellowship, but now they were being forced to work together. It may have first been just trying to find out what kind of needs and how we're going to work with the military, but before long, all of these physical needs forced them to cooperate together. And there were times at which... You know, leaders of church bodies like Iowa would come, they would have a meeting and say, here's what we're going to do, and pretty well the Iowa uh, president says, listen, I don't really have authority to do this. In fact, my own constitution says that we're not allowed to do this. Well, it's war. In war, emergencies. Emergencies always, you, if you have a good emergency, you can throw every rule out the window. And so what happened? They started working together. Even though it didn't quite fit, even though it didn't quite work, more and more, this caused all kinds. This helped to bring about the 1917-1918 coming together. National Lutheran Council, as it went forward and continued to work, um, it held some conferences because it saw what was going on between 1919 and 1920. They were real excited that these Lutherans were all getting together. Um, We need to get the rest of the Lutherans together. Hmm. The rest of the Lutherans. I said there was some fringe, but the real concern was... The Synodical Conference, Missouri and others, were not playing with everybody else. And we need to get them all in with us together. So these conferences were held in order that we might see if we could all get together. I'm going to give you one particular example, and this seems to be one of the biggest ones. There's a man named Hans G. Stubb. He was part of the Norwegian Senate, uh, the very conservative kind of uh, part of, uh, of it that had not gone in with the others in, in the United one. He wrote something called the Chicago Theses of 1919 in which he said, if we're going to get together, uh, these are the doctrines, this is the thing that we're going to have to do. This was his paper called the Chicago Theses. It was written at the Chicago, that's why not what it was held. Uh, Missouri approved of it. And said, whoa, okay, let's, you know, if we're going to have some discussions and we're going to talk about getting together, you know, we kind of like the Chicago Theses. Frederick Knubel of the United Lutheran Church presented something called the Essentials of a Catholic Spirit. Now, by Catholic, he didn't mean Roman Catholic. He meant ecumenical. He meant no more of this distinctiveness. We need to be Christian. Uh, We need to be Catholic all together. And so we need to set aside all of these kind of things. Um, From the United Lutheran Church, the most liberal, when they heard this, they went, yeah, that's exactly why we're not a part uh, of the United uh, 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 Lutheran Church. Um, uh, It completely gave up on uh, uh, things. Uh, Henry Jacobs, he's from Ohio. 
he then also gave a paper called Constructive Lutheranism. Uh, this one uh, presented the more conservative kind of, of response, uh, saying, no, what we found is that at this point, the ULCA was ready, let's all unite, um, we want to be Catholic, we want to all get together, the Norwegians, the Midwesterners, they were not ready. By 1920, we get to the end of these conferences, uh, the ULCA had adopted something called the Washington Declaration of Principles. Um, what about it? Well, it was a revised paper, Knuel and Jacob revised uh, this Essentials of a Catholic Spirit, turned it into eight essential doctrinal points that should be a basis for practical cooperation <laughs> among the Protestant Church. We are now a part of the Protestant churches, and we all need to get together. Um, I started to show you last time with uh, Nelson, page 409. Here's where it talks about the conference, this revised version that they put together. Um, uh, let's see here. In addition, it enunciated eight doctrinal essential doctrinal points, a basis. Whereas the attitude of many Lutherans towards other churches had been total separation, this statement affirmed as the proper Lutheran position this. Here's what they said. To approach others without hostility, without jealousy, suspicion, or pride, in the sincere and humble desire to give and receive Christian service. This is the way we ought to get together to grant cordial recognition to all agreements which are discovered between its own interpretation of the gospel and that which others hold. You, have a, you understand the gospel this way, and we understand. We ought to give cordial recognition uh, to that, heartfelt recognition. We need to cooperate with other Christians in works of serving love, insofar as this can be done, without surrender of its interpretation of the gospel. So we can get together. You can keep your gospel ideas that you have, but we still need to work together without denial of conviction, without suppression of its testimony as to what it holds to be the truth. Wow. That's dumb. In regard to inter-Lutheran affairs, the statement said that because there's no reason to doubt the sincerity of any synod's confession to the confessional standards... There is no reason we ought to doubt you're sincere. You, you're probably very sincere. About how wrong you are. <laughs> We're concerned about sincerity, Rachel, not truth. I'm <laughs> All Lutherans, therefore, are in a unity of the faith. And they together do form one church. So, if you're a Lutheran, we're going to consider you Lutheran. You want to call yourself, we're all... And, and because you're sincere, you must be Lutheran. And if you're sincere and you're Lutheran, then we all are, we all form one, we're all one big happy church. Even though we're in different sense and we're going right now. But we've got to get rid of all the hostility, the pride, the, the whatever. This was the roadmap for bringing in the rest of the Lutheran fold. Mary? I hesitate to admit that that paragraph there was going to be my next question, which is, why can't we just leave each other alone, is what it comes down to. <laughs> uh, but, but you haven't read the, the last uh, uh, sentence of the next paragraph, because that's me. A final section in this thing warned against anti-Christian ideas and organizations. Without mentioning lodges by name, it encouraged Lutherans to be alert to all teachings and organizations that contradict the truth of Scripture. That kind of blows up the whole... Yeah, but it didn't that's mention what they were. That's true. We're all against anti-Christian. Aren't you against anti-Christian? <laughs> I am too. I happen to be a member of the Lodge, but I'm against anti-Christian <laughs> stuff. And you're not talking about me, because I just play golf with them. <laughs> so you can see how this... Um, uh, uh, you, you can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to pull in. You can keep your stuff. 
You just have to accept everybody else's, and we all have to come together. It's the problem is your pride, um, and you know, are there? And we will give nods to your concerns. Your concerns about anti yeah, we are concerned about that too, but we're not going to explicitly deal with the real issues. And that's the way that it was pushed. That's the way it went forward. Mark. This opens the door to synergism because the thing is, is all, if, if all we really care open about in the end is the all we really care about is our, is our sincerity, then how long before we start saying, well, you know, we ought to be all, all of us, Protestants, all the same thing. But after that, how far then are we away from saying, okay, well, you know, Buddhists and, and you know, and, 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 and Muslims, they're sincere too. Correct. So, this, so you are right. it opens the door to simply being nothing at all. Correct. So this uh, agreement, it didn't mention the Bible as the inerrant word of God. just didn't quite mention it. The very idea of cooperation with non-Lutheran American Protestants was inconceivable to the Midwesterners. When coupled in with this one document, which had a less blunt rejection of the secret societies than they wanted, and the claim that they ought to have no misgivings about the United Lutheran Church, that combination made the Midwesterners run. You know, we want nothing to do uh, with uh, what that is uh, proposing. And so, Lutheranism, due to this proposal, Lutheranism within that council came to a parting of the ways. Um, no, we're not going to go uh, in that way. Uh, we will see, though, uh, that, and I'm going to talk about at the end of this paper a little bit, uh, the 20s, what happened after this, the Roaring 20s as, as we talk about it. Um, uh, they're the aftermath of the John Connell. Within a few years, the Norwegians and the Ohioans began to propose a new alignment of the Senate. Uh, and few, full mutual recognition within the conference. And, and you go, what? what? Um, I, you know, Ohio was on the outside. Ohio said, no, I want nothing to do with this. And by the time we get to 1930, they're together too. And it, it reminds me similar to the General Senate and General Council about them, them coming together. Um, and followed by 1930, you have uh, the old ALC um, the American Lutheran Conference, which then becomes then the new ALC, which becomes the ELCA, which and, and, and we're going to see what uh, what comes of that. Um, but between 1919 and 1920, this National Lutheran Council endorsed an international conference. It was held in Eisenach, Germany in 1923. It was designed to build friendships among Lutherans. From that, then founded the Lutheran World Convention. And under the direction of John A. Moorhead, these two organizations were intertwined, and they ended up um, uh, being a force for uniting Lutherans uh, throughout. Uh, this is what uh, we have. Um, with the celebration of the Reformation, the World War, and then the responses to uh, uh, the world, uh, the World War, and and what's going on, um, you saw that uh, the Synodical Conference and Missouri is is on the outside. Um, Many of these things I've showed you from their perspective of trying to uh, pull in. I have produced for you on the pink sheet, and if I can refer to some of those this time, uh, this uh, particular uh, pages is taken from a, uh, a document. This actually has two of them in this book, called The True Visible Church of God on Earth. This is one of Walther's uh, fine writings. Um, he also has one called The Form of a Christian Congregation. Others use might know long gospel, things of this sort. Um, this particular writing, The True Visible Church of God on Earth, when is it written? 1866. So, it, it didn't just come about at this, but it's at the time, and this is within that purview of the pressure that is being put upon them how do we respond to some of these 
claims. Here's the way the conservative Lutherans are responding. C.F.W. Walther, in his theses, um, this one, I don't remember, he's, he's, he's now doing letters as he gets towards the end. I don't know if it's 12C or something, I don't remember. Um, what, wait, what page is that? 128. 128. Um, let's see here. It is, I think, thesis 13. No, 18. 18. Thesis 18. 18, part C. The Evangelical Lutheran Church rejects every fraternal or ecclesiastical fellowship with such as reject its confession, either in whole or in part. We're going to have fellowship with what? Though not those who reject its confession. Um, you have to accept that not just parts. You, know, you say, oh, well, I got more than not. No, all of it. Um, the fact that an outward church union without unity of faith, doctrine, and confession is contrary to God's word is proved by the following declarations of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, yes, Nelson, you know, and Meyer can poo-poo what Missouri was talking about. Walther says, no, no, no. This is exactly what we hold to. We hold to that if there's going to be fellowship, that there's going to be uniting, it can't be upon... Uh, we're all going to play nice and not be prideful. It can't be based upon statements that can be understood differently by different groups um, uh, or vague, yeah, we all reject anti-Christian or we're, we're all Lutheran. There has to be a unity in faith and doctrine and confession. He goes and cites the typical uh, scripture passages, you know, unequally being yoked, um, 2 John 10, 11, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine or receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he biddeth him Godspeed, is, is a partaker of his evil deeds. Fellowship means if you allow someone to have a false teaching and you are in fellowship with them, you partake, or in, I think the modern versions say share. You share in his evil work. And so uh, it talks about how we are to avoid them or flee from them. Uh, and so there needs to be not just an outward togetherness, but a unity of the spirit. And so Walther is responding, obviously, with this uh, to these things. What if it's your child? What now? What if it's your child? It's kind of hard to not bid them Godspeed when they leave and... You know? When your child leaves the church? Uh, when your child re totally refuses to be involved at all. Yeah, I'm talking about church fellowship, though. I'm oh, talking about right. not, not, okay. I, I, not family. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off. Or, but. Um, obviously, those are difficult things uh, that, that we struggle with. Um, uh, uh, as he goes on, he gives not only scripture passages... He also uh, goes to the Lutheran Confessions, uh, talking about, you know, uh, ungodly teachers should be shunned. Uh, Luther, uh, we see where they cite him in the form of a concord, where he says, whoever I say will not believe this will please leave me alone. Expect no fellowship from me. Um, they were trying to force him to, to come together, and he says, no, that's, that's not the way uh, uh, that the scriptures teach of these things. The... Uh, thesis 22 um, that was with the sacrament and then I go on because he goes to the next uh, on 133 the Evangelical Lutheran Church true Evangelical Lutheran particular or local congregation or congregations are only those in which the doctrine of the Evangelical Lutheran Church set forth in symbols is not only lawfully recognized, but it is also professed in its public preaching. What is Walter responding to? He's responding to the United Lutheran Church in America, in which they had brought together, you might remember, the General Council and the General Senate. The General Senate was liberal in doctrine and practice. The General Council was not. When they went together, the General Council got the General Senate to 
put on paper, we believe in an inerrant word. We're going to, you know. In reality, they both came together, kept there, and the, um, uh, the general counsel said, see, they're, they've, they've now got a subscription to the Lutheran Confessions. Good, that will change them over time. How does that work? It doesn't. Right. What happens is, is that uh, um, it always goes the other way. Um, I mean, it, it's it's you know, um, it's similar. You know, um, if 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 the guy doesn't throw his uh, clothes in the hamper before you're married, <laughs> yeah, put it in writing, and then let's see what happens after you're married. <laughs> you think that's going to change it? I don't think so. Um, And so, not only are we talking official, but we're talking about professed. So that when they came together, Missouri said, okay, fine, now show me what the General Senate is doing. And he says, wait, they're still getting together. They're still doing it. We need to see the proof. We need to see that they're practicing what they were supposed to do. Um, And so, you know, going on... um, where in the scriptures, you know, they, they boast about having the, the truth, though they don't practice it. Uh, Jeremiah says the pen of the scribes is in vain. Uh, it doesn't do anything. As here, the Holy Spirit rejects as vain boasting the appeal to the Jews who allowed false doctrine to prevail in their midst, that they have the law of God. So, the appeal of nominal Lutherans, Lutherans in name only, that they recognize the existing Orthodox confessions while tolerating false doctrine in their midst must be rejected as vain boasting. This is the response. This is why, you know, Missouri, no, we're, they were not concerned. We were not concerned that, that we're not getting together. Why? There wasn't a unity in the faith. There was not doctrine and practice going on. What I, I see, and it's it's... For sure, when I was growing up and all the rest of this, and and uh, probably all the people that I've known, and I see it today yet, is uh, among Lutherans, we are not really, uh, it takes some effort to be able to understand all this stuff. Because as they get out in among the world, uh, in the uh, military, into this, into that, all of these kinds of things, they see well, this one is a Christian, that one is a Christian. Mm-hmm. I can't deal with the fact that you do this kind of stuff. I reject that. And it's a lot of it is because there's very poor teaching on this stuff. I, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so when we speak about these things, we have to be very careful. Right. Because you're right. Many do not understand, do not know. And so they come to great, crazy ideas when we talk about the, the, the truth, you know, and, and they think, oh, well, you're condemning everybody. And you're, you know, you kind of go, wait, 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 back off. You know, let me show you what I'm talking about, why this is the case. It's not unloving. It's not arrogant. It's not prideful. Um, you know, this is the way the scriptures teach. And so we, we have to take time. It takes a lot of time to bring, because you're right. They've been, they've been told it's this way. And it's hard to explain from the scriptures that it takes a while. Brian. I'm sorry, you're not talking loud. Did, didn't Walter make the big mess of the lady in the pastoral office and all that? Yeah. <laughs> but we hold him up to be the great father of conservatism in the Lutheran Church and the Missouri Senate Church. He's wrote books and everything's great about him, but he's got this one doctrinal point he says wrong. Am I, am I missing that? And your point? Well, did you come back around on that? Um, so somebody well, wouldn't be in fellowship. You know, this is... Um, when you're young, your father is perfect. When you're a teenager, your father did everything wrong. When you're 50, you go, you know what? Some things he did right and some things he didn't. Um, I think we've grown up and we were able to look back at Walther and go, some things he got right and some things he got wrong. Um, and I think that 
there are many ways in which he held together by this, a church body, you know, were there some errors there? Yes, some of them we didn't see, some of them we didn't see till later. Uh, some of the errors that he said were never practiced until now. Um, so there's, it, it, history is a little more complicated, and when I'm dealing with one person, you're right. So we look at this, and I'm going to say, if, if you hear me, I, you know, I will hold Walter up pretty high. Um, I'm, I've come to realize some of these things that I was told, well, it's, it's okay. No, sometimes we just got to say he was wrong on some of these things, and he didn't. Um, I don't think, and I, I don't know, um, I think if he saw where it led, again, he never practiced some of the crazy stuff that people said uh, with it. But um, um, let me finish this so that we kind of hit this. Uh, thesis 24, the Evangelical Luth practice this fellowship of confession and love with all who with it are one in the faith. And so once again, as long as there is mutual agreement in doctrine and it's all its articles, as well as in the right use of the holy sacraments, according to the familiar axiom, disagreement and fasting does not destroy uh, uh, agreement in the faith. Um, the Lutheran Church, we've always taught this. We've always taught that it is in all its articles, uh, not just talking about... Um, uh, he quotes from Luther... By God's grace, our church is next to and most like that of the apostles, for we have the pure doctrine, the catechism, the sacrament, right as Christ taught and instituted. We also know how one should rule in home and, and world, and if God's word remains pure and prevails, and that alone makes the church, then everything else is well and right. Um, he goes on to say, we're lacking in nothing in doctrine. Um, you know, in life, let it be as it may. You know, we're always going to be correcting life. Um, but this is the way that Walther was responding to what's going on in Lutheranism. Why do I think this is so very important? Because we're looking at what's going on in my diagrams and, and things of that sort. Um, what we're going to find is that there are some that were liberal doctrine practice. We're going to find some that had it in paper but didn't practice we're going to find that, that there were very good men in Ohio, in the Norwegian Senate, and things like uh, Stubb, a uh, uh, professor, um, spoke out, had a document that Missouri could have agreed with, and things of that sort. It doesn't mean that God doesn't raise up men within there. It doesn't mean that there's no Christians in there, or even those who are Lutheran. But what happens over time? We're going to watch <laughs> uh, 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 that they're all going to be funneled into what is now the ELCA. And we're going to see LCA, ALC comes into the ELCA. We're going to find Seminex uh, breaks off and says, yeah, we're going with them. And we're going to see what's left of that confession. If you don't have agreement in doctrine and practice, and that's not where you start, you don't even have a chance. So that's where we are. Comments, questions? I'm out of time. But we got well, I think, I think it's important for us to remember that when we're talking about these confessions, we're not talking about every individual in every congregation knowing all of these points. Because you, you, you can't expect your neighbor who's a Methodist to be anything but a Christian, but a Christian. If he believes in Christ, he's a Christian, but he's still a Methodist. <laughs> and if you want to have any relationship with your neighbor at all, you probably shouldn't keep pointing that out. He's not a loser. Card. <laughs> so just looking at the history of the Christian Church, in particular the last 200 years, you're telling me that. We're going to have to continue this battle against false doctrine. Only while you're breathing. We have to be on guard in our own church at all times, and this is never going to stop. If you think we can take the truth, lock it in a box, and go, good. Whew, don't have to worry about that. You got it now.
just 200 years? No. Yeah, going back all the way. Yeah, that's going to be more than that diagram in the future. I remember whenever things fell apart in Galcon and I came up here. Grover, you know, of course, he does not go to church. He couldn't understand. He said, well, you all believe in Christ. So what's the big... And I remember my son said, yes, but it's the doctrine. Because if you start losing the doctrine, pretty soon it's gone. And that's the son that's now a Roman Catholic. <laughs> but anyway, Last one, Michael. got to fight for it. I think this is why we should all give as much as we can to the Eldona Seminary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word might have free course among us, uh, that uh, no matter the uh, cultural uh, things, family uh, situations, uh, whatever might be going on, but that uh, um, in, in our life that we might always be humble, confessing our uh, sins and falling short, but that uh, the doctrine uh, that we may not give even one inch upon it, but that we would always hold to that uh, truth and require uh, that for, for true fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.